G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. There's strife on the waterfront and the rumblings are being heard right across the country. Today we speak to Will Tracy, National Deputy Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia, the MUA, before he speaks to a meeting of retired seafarers about the new campaign to save wages and conditions on Australia's wharves. We speak to a stevedore working at Cube in Melbourne's web dock where workers went on strike over the weekend to defend their wages and conditions. And we hear from Warren Smith, Assistant National Secretary of the MUA, about where this dispute is going. But first, some workers' news. Jed Carney, former President of the ACTU, the Australian Council of Trade Unions, has won the hotly contested federal seat of Batman in Victoria over the weekend. Despite a strong campaign by the Greens and a field of five far-right candidates in the inner Melbourne electorate, Labor gained a 4% lead by Monday counting and an increase in primary votes. Jed Carney's win now means that there are 48% women in the Labor caucus. Her win is considered an important win for Labor, leading up to the next federal election. The half-Senate and House elections can be held together at any time after the 4th of August 2018, so it is almost certain the next federal election will be held between August and May 2019. The next federal election dates is at the discretion of the Prime Minister. It is altogether possible that we could go to the polls in late 2018, barely two years since the last election, which was a double dissolution. How does it feel when big business has too much power? But Mum, the company's making huge profits. And here I am being pushed into labour hire. But they've forced me into casual work. I don't even know if I'm working next week. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I know. It's not fair. Australia can do better than this. It's time to change the rules. Authorised by Sally McManus, ACTU Melbourne. That is one of the new ads being broadcast across the country, paid for by the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU. The ads are to promote more secure jobs and wage rises, calling for Australians to join the movement and change the rules. It is the biggest campaign of its sort run by the ACTU since the federal LNP government pushed for work choices. We spoke to Don Sutherland, former Chief Industrial Officer for the AMWU, about why the ads? Why the ads now? I think what we've got is the launch of an advertising campaign uh, that has two very special features. Firstly, it coincides with the period in which the Fair Work Commission annual wage review is going through a very important phase in the formal process. And then secondly, what is envisaged at the end of that six-week period are uh, union days of action against the broken rules in May. And, of course, that all happens in the context of the usual 
union movement activity around May Day. So I think uh, they are two quite special things, and there is a link uh, between the annual wage review that sets new, uh, or doesn't, according to the decision of the Fair Work Commission, sets new uh, minimum rates to pay, and therefore uh, has a major impact on the living standards of those who are on the lowest rates, uh, and including on those who are having to deal with the problem of wage theft, because they are being paid illegally by their employer at below the minimum rate. Support the MUA. Yeah. You support the VICT workers. Yeah. You support your fellow dock workers. Yeah. Will you be back? Yeah. Will we be back? Yeah. Are we going to win? Yeah. Damn right we are. Well done, comrades. Good rally. You're listening to Stick Together, Union News and Workers' Stories. Just before Christmas, you might remember VICT at Webdock East in Melbourne was shut down by a community picket. The company had forced through a non-union agreement and fired a union delegate. The community picket followed after the union was banned from picketing by the Fair Work Commission with injunctions placed on union officials and in a first, the Secretary of the Victorian Trades Hall Council from being 100 metres of the picket line. Ultimately, VICT reinstated the worker who is being paid but still isn't allowed on site and sued the MUA for potentially more than $100 million over an alleged conspiracy to form an illegal waterfront picket line for more than two weeks. This is why when I spoke to Will Tracy from the MUA, he made it clear he had to be careful of any contempt of court. Your contempt of court proceedings, obviously, so we're yeah. a bit restricted on what we can say. Um, You're down in Melbourne for a special meeting? Yeah, we've been down in Melbourne all week getting around uh, the various terminals and with the various unions to discuss the dispute <coughs> and the impact that... This is the VICT? The v- sorry, the, to discuss the uh, VICT dispute or the dispute with VICT, a uh, global Stephen Ron company, a multinational company, um, that's come into the port down here to undercut by about 40% the wages and conditions of Australian stevedores across the industry. So um, we've had a number of meetings and today we've got the, uh, we've called the veterans and life members in to um, explain the dispute so that they're aware of it and ask for their assistance because essentially uh, an attack on the industry wages and the conditions is an attack on what they built through generations and generations of struggle. All the people who were here today went through the fights in the past to get us the wages and conditions that Steve Alls across the country currently enjoy and it's what they fought for that has been attacked through what VICT is doing. So, Can you um, give us a lowdown of what VICT are doing? Uh, so VICT have put together an enterprise agreement in CUB type fashion, that is they got they employed five supervisors to vote up an agreement that would cover the operations uh, 100, 100 plus operations people that normally come um, under the coverage of the MUA. They used another union to do a dirty deal. Um, and but those it, supervisors are being paid quite a large amount of money, aren't they? Well, the supervisors did very well out of it, as you would expect, if they're going to vote up an agreement that undermines the wages and conditions of everybody else, not just in their own terminal, but across the industry. So um, some of them were a bit inexperienced when they went through it, but the reality is they did what many companies have done across the country, and that is to get a small group of workers, supervisors in this case, and use them to put in place an agreement that undercuts our industry wages and conditions by 40%. They not only do that, they introduce into the terminals for the first time for the operations uh, workers uh, 12-hour shifts. And 
in an age of automation and decreasing employment, that's something that we've been trying to move away from. Well, not, not let in at all because... The oh, problem- which, is, which is interesting because, you know, the eight-hour day was partially about uh, reducing the amount of work that individuals did so that there was more work for more people. Yeah, well, we still have a functioning eight-hour shift system uh, in the terminals across the country. Um, and the introduction of a 12-hour shift system will cut the manning across the waterfront by about 30%. Um, so it's a significant step uh, and something that we've seen introduced for the first time across the entire operations in this terminal down here in Victoria. We've got a tax on our superannuation system, our superannuation fund. They've gone back to the uh, minimum in terms of superannuation, but they won't even recognise Maritime Super, which is the industry fund. Um, we have a company um, that has come in and uh, openly threatening people in the terminal that if in an automated terminal people work behind a computer screen. So they tell them if they don't give them the productivity they're chasing, that is the box rate, then they'll shift their jobs to the Philippines where someone will do that job for $15,000 a year. In fact, we had a supervisor on site as recent as last week openly telling employees, because they've now shifted five jobs a shift to the Philippines. Um, so we oppose automation, but every automated job that comes out at the end of that process should at least be in this terminal, should be in this country, um, because you know it's about creating employment um, in the terminals that operate here. But... As late as this week, we had a manager down on site um, with the five jobs they've shifted already. So the gatehouse and the shoreside uh, EC roles have been shifted to Manila already, um, telling the guys, well, it's 40000 versus your 120 You do the math. Um, and so they're openly um, into the guys on site about that's the uh, way that they want to gouge costs. So it becomes an issue of even the 40% they've undercut the industry rate is no longer enough. What we'll have you doing is competing directly with um, wages in Southeast Asia. I mean, we've got a proud tradition of internationalism, um, but we also have a proud tradition of defending our industry and defending our jobs in this country. Um, and uh, well, where's the federal government in this? Are they missing in action or something? Well, to be expected, yeah, of course they are. Um, they've been nowhere on this. They've focused on the issues that the uh, terminal has tried to put before them in relation to security. Uh, we'll obviously have a lot more to say about that down the track. But um, they've been. They've what been... if they internet? If they send jobs? Uh, Online jobs to the Philippines. What? Uh, how secure are our ports? Uh, well, there isn't any. There isn't any security because there's no vetting of the people that are doing the work. There is this hypocrisy in the government's public arguments um, about what they say about you know the bullshit we see around borders and all that sort of stuff that they run, and then in fact what they do to make sure that capital gets a foothold in the country and in particular in our ports and that sort of thing. So. They, they, they are issues for us because they make us jump through hoops, uh, yet there's no real vetting um, outside of what they require us to do to try and prevent members of ours getting employment in the industry. Um, now, 12-hour days, if we go back to that, that's quite dangerous, isn't it? Well, it is, because evidence shows that most of the accidents and incidents in high-risk industry happen towards the last three hours of any 12-hour shift. Importantly for us, though, uh, eight-hour shifts... Um, allow people to have a life outside of work. Importantly, they play a role in the community. A lot of our guys are active in the unions who are active in their kids' sports clubs. They're active in any of the community groups that are in and around the port because most, a lot of the guys still live in and around the port. But importantly for us, they get to have a family life, you know, outside of work. Um, and also, an uh, eight-hour shift system is a three-shift system as opposed to a 12-hour, which is a two-shift. And so it reduces uh, heavily by about 30% demanding that you would ordinarily see and the jobs that are ordinarily created in a terminal such as this. Um, we are seeing the undermining of industry conditions, long-standing industry conditions, that is union picnic days, the working of 12-hour shifts on Christmas Day, um, what we would ordinarily call uh, closed port days, all these sorts of things being undermined 
um, by uh, the introduction of the agreement that this terminal has put in place. And, and we're talking about an international company, isn't it? A company it's that... a multinational company who is quite open about the fact that their business model was predicated on uh, dictatorships, that democracy does harm to their ability to generate profits. They openly say that. Their global CEO was going as far as saying that at the ASEAN conference last year. Um, so this is a company that has a terrible reputation in terms of uh, the business that it does overseas. It functions inside Despo countries. That, that's how it works. Um, and uh, this is an attempt to get into a first world country and bring all of that horrible behaviour from overseas with it. Uh, and it's something that we intend to fight back. Now there was a uh, community picket before Christmas uh, and uh, the uh, <coughs> VICT um, blinked, but it's part of their strategy, isn't it? They've got a track record. Yeah, they certainly do. And we got to a stage where we got a partial settlement in the federal court prior to Christmas, very similar to the outcome that we got at um, Hutchison last year, when we were able to get the employment of the employees reinstated at Hutchison um, and back on pay. It just took us significantly more time to get them back through the gate, and that became part of the process of the entire dispute. We've got the same outcome here. Uh, and we're now fighting to get that worker back inside the gate, um, but also fight to terminate this agreement that so harshly undermines the wages and conditions we've got across the industry, and we've kicked that process off. So we'll be explaining that to the people who are here today, that we've sought to have the agreement um, declared invalid, because not only does it undercut the industry wages and conditions by 40%, it actually undercuts the award by about 12 and a half. So it fails the boot test. It fails the boot test. So there, there are two... Uh, avenues to what we say is wrong with the agreement. One is it fails the boot test, clearly fails the boot test, uh, and two is that the manner in which it was brought in, that is using five supervisors who don't ordinarily come within the MUA area of coverage, being used to vote up an agreement that undercuts our industry so savagely. Because they also did this thing of changing the names <coughs> of the jobs, <coughs> pretending that that was a reason for why nothing, uh, the original agreement doesn't count. Yeah, that's right. So they give um, the functions that we normally perform on the waterfront a different name. And yeah. so that must mean that we don't have any coverage of those uh, jobs anymore, which is, you know, a fallacy. So it's premeditated. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the more we unravel, um, in a legal sense, what's gone on, uh, the more it looks like a set play. Absolutely, it looks like a set play. And as I said, it has all the hallmarks of the Patrick's dispute in 98, just without the balaclavas. It's a lot more sophisticated. Mm, now, they, they're saying that uh, this company uh, has uh, bought Hutchinson's, is that right? Uh, no, this company's telling us that it's acquiring Hutchison. That's correct. Uh, there was some documentation that came out uh, in the last few days of the dispute uh, last year where they indicated that they would be acquiring Hutchison. Now, that's something clearly that our membership at Hutchison are going to yeah. react to uh, because no-one wants this sort of cancer to spread throughout the industry. So, um, it, it, in, in an economic sense, it makes... You know, you, you would think that that's what they would do because uh, you can't just be in... In terms of the container industry, you can't just be in Melbourne and not in Sydney, or you can't be in Sydney and not in Melbourne. They're the two biggest tonnage ports or highest volume ports in the country. So the business model would require that you're in both ports. This seems to be the way that they would get that. Um, and uh, we're looking at that now and conducting uh, meetings with our membership across uh, both the Botany and the Brisbane terminals. Uh, and um, their reaction has been hostile. Uh, toward having anything to do with a company such as a VICT. It's got a fair way to go in this dispute um, and we're going to leave no stone unturned to ensure that the agreement that they've put in place doesn't get a foothold in our industry. So the campaign begins? Yeah, well, continues at least. <laughs> Thanks. I say union, you say power, union! Power! Union! Power! I say union, you say power, union! You're listening to Stick Together, union news and workers' stories with Annie McLaughlin.
This week, we are down at the wharves. Before Christmas, it was Web Dock East. The trouble on Melbourne docks has now moved to Cube on Web Dock West. The workers at Cube took two days strike action on March 17th and 18th over wages and conditions. I spoke to a stevedore from Cube for the story. Yeah, that's correct. There is a strike this weekend. Uh, It's been coming to a head for a long time. We've been in negotiations with Cube for two years. They haven't given us a pay rise in three of those years. Um, But there are a number of outstanding issues that have come to the fore, and they are the use of 12-hour shifts. Cube have manipulated the current agreement, which has no real stipulations on the limit of 12-hour shifts, or certainly not articulated very well in the agreement. Um, They've also removed a roster we had, which allowed for planned time off for permanence, which was a seven weeks on, one week off roster. They simply removed that, saying there weren't enough hours to justify that. Well, that's simply not true. Cuba won a number of contracts recently, and if anything, there's a labour shortage. So there are a number of outstanding issues, certainly um, around the conditions of working hours and remuneration. They've taken all back pay off the table at the moment, uh, and they've also taken off any pay offers at all. And they're also threatening to terminate the agreement. So this dispute is could be quite significant. It's certainly significant for the waterfront. Oh, and it's and significant for it all the will. workers. I mean, let's go back to the 12 yeah. hours, when you talk about the 12-hour shifts. Get, give people some idea of what they're talking about. I had the impression that, in fact, sometimes people are working 12-hour shifts and then they almost immediately have to go back on again. Uh, yes, the shifts are completely irregular. Um, if you're a casual at Cube, you're given no roster at all. We get a text message at 4pm every day notifying us of a shift the next day. But further to that, you can work an eight-hour shift and only be given an eight-hour rest period between the next shift. Um, and it's quite common to work a day shift, then an evening shift, then a day shift, then an afternoon shift, and then back to a day shift. Now we're talking about very dangerous work. Yeah, yeah, this is really dangerous work. Oh, absolutely. We're talking about general bulk and cargo and automotive and heavy machinery. So, of course, yeah, it's very dangerous. Um, A lot of this works old-style stevedoring where you're working under the hook, lifting out uh, steel beams, lifting out bulk commodities like paper, um, which is bagged. So this is tonnes of cargo that's... um, and it's quite precarious work. And, of course, if you're working shift work... Uh, and you're fatigued, well, we know that that affects your cognitive and motor skills quite severely. Now, there's been deaths at this work site, and uh, I also had the impression that often when there are deaths in a work site like this, this is often at the last hour of the person's shift. Yes, that's correct. One of the deaths occurred in, in one of the last hours of a, a 12 night shift can imagine people don't like to talk about it um it's a pretty traumatic experience to go through to see one of your workmates killed but uh certainly i work with people who've had to pull bodies up that have been crushed by steel out of the hull of a ship and are just a mangled mess and it's something like that you you can never get out of your mind and there was actually a death 
there last week, not on the job, but somebody had a heart attack on the job and died the next day in hospital. And that underlines the uh, precarious nature of night shifts and the load it's putting on people physically, mentally, emotionally and psychologically. It just um, wears you down. And uh, that's the death of a, a man who was um, in the later stages of his working life, but it was a completely unnecessary death. Now, you, you're, you're, you guys are going to uh, do a shutdown. You're, you, it, it, this is not because you're cantankerous workers asking for outrageous things. You've been trying to negotiate stuff with uh, Cube for quite a while, haven't you? Yeah, that's correct. We've been two years in negotiations. Cube have uh, only met delegates on several occasions, um, but not really with any earnest degree of seeking a resolution, and they don't give paid meetings for their delegates. So Cube have not argued in good faith all along the line. They've threatened to remove back pay, and they've done that. Um, and, and of course, you know, with a, a pay freeze of three years, you know that you're dealing with a, an employer that is completely belligerent. And we know that um, Cube has form uh, in, that, in the way it treats its workforce all around the country. In, in Newcastle, they started off negotiations just recently, threatening a 10% pay cut. And uh, so it's, it's actually a very uh, hairy sort of position for all the workers. Uh, can you tell us the process mm. of uh, getting to this point of... Uh... Well, I mean, basically the, the process has been long-running in that it's, it's come to a head where Cuba are refusing to budge and have simply um, threatened to remove conditions. And now, of course, they're threatening to terminate our agreement and that escalates the dispute. We have no choice but to strike. Um, we, we're left with simply no option. We, we can't afford to simply go back on the current conditions, let alone be thrown back onto the award, which would give us a 40% pay cut. You're listening to Stick Together, Union News and Workers' Stories. The Cube dispute is important because it holds a kernel of the entire assault on working conditions and wages for all the workers on the wharves. I spoke to Warren Smith, Assistant National Secretary of the MUA, about what is at stake and the next move. Can you give me some idea of uh, what's the next step in what's going on down at Cube? Well, Cube uh, have just taken the most uh, aggressive stance uh, available really under the, the whole broken Fair Work Act, the act that just does not work for workers, works for the boss, doesn't work for workers. They've determined after a bargaining period um, or during a bargaining period that they're going to terminate the agreement of the workers at Cube. Now, the, it's not as if there's any massive big economic claims on the company. In fact, there's virtually nil economic claims. There's a couple of claims that the guys have got around massive fatigue, um, incredibly onerous 12-hour shifts consecutively, um, and a roster that was removed from the workforce that was actually a mechanism to fight fatigue. So on the basis of that, Cube have made a pretty heavy-handed determination. They're not going to live with the roster, and they're not going to live with what they call impositions on their ability to work people into the ground and they've decided to terminate the agreement through the, you know, the, the available capacity to do that under the Fair Work Act, which is just wrong. It's 25 years of workers' bargaining history. 
people's fathers and grandparents ultimately could have been part of negotiating outcomes and winning uh, wages and conditions uh, in a workplace and someone can come along with the stroke of a pen and smash 25 years of, of union history. Now, it wasn't workers who asked to go on to enterprise employment um, and enterprise bargaining agreements. We were quite happy under the award back then. Now we're being forced back to the award, <coughs> but only after a period where the awards have been become ossified and have been smashed, the wages have been um, uh, diminished and the conditions have been stripped from them after successive governments have taken to award modernisation process. So in essence, we see a situation where Cuba saying to their workforce, who work in one of the most dangerous industries in the country, that they've got to cop a 59% wage cut. And this is all the while where the managing director of Cube doubles his salary from 1.6 to 3.2 million, they expect their workforce to take a 59% wage cut. So what are the workers going to do? Well, they're going to resist. And they're going to fight this because there's no option but to fight having 25 years of your collective history just wiped out in one hit. It's the most unjust, um, potentially the most unjust element of the whole broken industrial relations system and we will not go back to work under the award. The workforce have made a determination if the company strips the agreement away from us, um, strips our conditions away from us, then we will not go to work and we will escalate the dispute and um, we'll fight it and hopefully we fight it alongside all of the other workers who are also suffering the same fate and may potentially suffer the same fate of having a whole history generations of working class struggle and gains removed with the stroke of a pen. Thanks for talking to me, Warren. Good on you. Bye. No worries, mate. That's it for Stick Together. Thanks to you for listening. We thank Will Tracy, Warren Smith and the worker who spoke to us today. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and we broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Stick Together is produced with the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Federation and we come to you on your community radio station. Stick Together podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or through iTunes. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 We would like to hear from you. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. Preacher man, don't tell me heaven is on the deer. I know you don't know what life is really worth. It's a call that Peter is told. After story had never been told. So now you see the light. Hey, stand up for your eyes. Right. Come on.
Now.